In the span of his 20-year career, retired patrol officer and army veteran Marco Flores successfully saved 120 people from committing suicide by jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Of course, there were hundreds of souls he couldn't save. And then there's the mysterious, the unexplained, and the terrifying encounters he'll share that you'll want to listen to with the lights on. In this podcast, co-hosted by father-daughter duo, Marco and Daniela, you'll hear true stories of heroism, heartbreak, ghostly encounters, and even more from beyond the bridge. Prepare your listening ears as we take you on a journey over the rail. Welcome to episode one of the podcast with no name currently. Um, I'm here with my dad, Marco, and dad today uh, for the first episode. Tell us the story about the person who you talked two for four hours oh on the bike side of the bridge yeah okay okay so i remember that day so So. tell me like details about that day so i was on bike patrol and i was working on the we're always on the on the east side um the only time we go to the west side is like on weekends or once they open the side up for bicycles we might go through there, but usually those the bikers are just going so fast that there's hardly ever any issues unless if there's like an accident or something. So I was on the east side on bike patrol when we got a call that there was somebody over the rail on the west side. So I <clears throat> I responded, even though I was on bike, I figured the cars would get there before me. But if I could get there before the cars... We wouldn't clog up traffic, so it's not going to cause, you know, a big traffic jam. So I started racing to get there. I got my little my little uh, sirens going on my, on my bike, and I'm racing as hard as I can, going around, going underneath. I get on the bridge and start heading northbound on the west side. And I come around the corner on, on the tower, and as I'm coming around the corner, you can see the cord straight all the way across because as you're coming around the corner looking down you have a straight shot of the cord the cord is the part of the bridge where people that want to kill themselves stand on it's basically um it's more like a, a railroad track so anyway so i'm coming around the corner i look down the cord and as i'm looking down i see this guy sitting there right so i said uh, i call it in i'm like patrol 11 sergeant um, I'm 1097 with that subject over the rail. And uh, so I get off the bike, you know, and I, I lay down on the ground so he can hear me. Um, and I start talking. I'm like, hey, brother. Hey, man, you don't want to do this. It's it's not what you're thinking. It's, you know, it's a terrible death, man. You don't want to do this. What happened? You know, I'm going through my, my steps and I'm like, tell me what happened today. Just tell me what happened. What happened? What triggered you? You know, and he wouldn't respond. He wasn't looking. He wouldn't turn around. What did he look like? Like, how old was he? What was his demeanor? His he was a young guy. 
a young guy who looked like uh, maybe he had been, maybe he had like really bad acne. Mm-hmm. Um, but later I found out why. But he just didn't, he didn't look healthy. He looked sick. But he was you know? probably in his 20s or something? Yeah, he was a young guy, okay. yeah. I looked like 20s. Yeah. But just a very hard life, you know? Yeah. And so he's over the rail. I'm talking to him. He's not responding at all. And so I kept telling him, I kept introducing myself. It's like, I'm Officer Flores. Name's Marco. You know? Look, man, I go, just talk to me. We don't know each other. But now I'm involved because... Now I'm sitting here talking to you and I'm I'm really desperate and I'm feeling bad because I can't even get you to turn around. Just to, I don't even know who you are. I, I just I go, it just breaks my heart to think that you're gonna die and, and, and I won't even know your name or why you're here or why you're gonna kill yourself in front of me. And I'm gonna have to remember that the rest of my life. Wow. I said, it's just it's not fair. Yeah. So I try to turn the Ooh, tables on him and yeah. make him um feel a little guilty so that he, maybe he'd talk to mm. me. You know, didn't say a word. He said nothing. You know, so I just kind of sat there quiet for a while, you know, and I kind of closed my eyes and pray. I always pray. Um, I pray before I get to them, and sometimes I'll pray in the middle and just ask for guidance, for wisdom, anything. You know, I can't do this. can't do this by myself. I need you. Come on, tell me something. What What can I say to make this person listen, you know? You're asking God. This? I'm asking God while I'm talking to this guy. Everything mm-hmm. got quiet. He wasn't saying anything. I didn't know what to say anymore. So when I don't know what to say, and there's my 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 um, backup had shown up, and they're just kind of standing there. I don't know what to say. It's just kind of quiet. I just kind of closed my eyes and started just started praying. God, you know, help me out here. You know, just get him to turn around and talk to me. I just want to know one thing. He hasn't responded to anything. He's not listening. And you're just so, laying on the floor. I'm laying on the floor. Time. Yeah, I'm laying on the floor, my hands out, always extended, you know. Yeah. So he won't turn around. He won't do it. And then one of my one of uh, the officers, I think it was CHP officer, taps me and says, you want me to try? And I go, yeah, go for it. I didn't want him to. I didn't. But it's the rule. It's kind of like an unwritten sure. rule that we all abide by. How long had you been laying down before the officer tapped you? maybe 10, 15 minutes. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to do a timeline in my head. It's, it's really difficult. Um, you later on, if you look and you say, Oh my God, I talked to that guy for a long time or talked to that girl for that woman or whatever. But when you're out there negotiating, you're not really thinking about time. You're thinking more about the conversation. How can I get this conversation going? How can I sound desperate enough for them to feel that I'm for real, that I really do care? And um, on that specific day, it just wasn't happening. I was feeling it, though, but I couldn't get him to turn around. Even though I f- kind of felt like he was listening, there was no guarantee because I, could, I, I couldn't read him. So I walked away. and um, And I walked over to the to my bike, grabbed my phone. I was kind of looking through emails and stuff. And and I set it down. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll just go back out on patrol and let you know, these guys handle it. And there's nothing I can do. You know, and I turned around, got on my bike and started riding away. And then boom, it's like, no, what are you doing? 
You just asked me for help, and now you're riding away. And you're not going to give me a chance? That's what it felt like. Oh. You're not going to give me a chance? That's it? Yeah. Well, what if I wanted to help you? Like, you felt like God was yeah. saying that to you? That's was crazy. Like, <laughs> That's weird. Okay. All right, fine. I'll turn around. Turn around, I started heading back. I head back, put my bike up. The cop's talking to him. He's kind of leaning over the rail like this. There's no way he's going to hear him, but nobody really thinks about that. So I come back up, and now I'm just standing next to the CHP officer. And uh, somebody calls me. And they go, hey, Marco. And then the guy hears someone call me, and the subject, who's down on the rail, sitting down. And he turns around, and he looks at me. And he goes, I thought you left. That was the first time he looked at you? First time. Oh. But he heard my voice. See, he was listening. Yeah. He was listening. Only I was so desperate to get him to turn around and say something. But he was listening. And I said, oh, after that, I, I realized they are hearing me. They are hearing me. Only they're not going to respond until they're ready. Mm-hmm. But they are hearing me. And so at that point, we um, we started talking. And, I, you know, I, 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 started, I started talking to him about, like, other people who had jumped. And I was trying to get him to tell me, like, why, what had happened. And he didn't want to talk about that. He did, you hear, did you get back down on the ground at this point? Or mm-hmm. were you just talking? I laid back down. You laid back down. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, you know, I was like, just tell me what got you here today. And he goes, I wouldn't even know where to start. And I'm like, well, let's just. Let's just tell me what happened today. You know, let's start there. We start talking and he starts questioning me. (laughs) Like, I loved it because I had never had someone who I couldn't even get to say anything all of a sudden engaging in conversation. And and I said, what made you change your mind? He goes, it's what you were saying. And I go, well, like what? And he said... Well, you know, he goes, when you were, you know, talking to me and just asking me what happened today that made me, that made this, you know, happen. And he said, I, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I, I wanted to believe you. And I go, why? Why did you want to believe me? We don't even know each other. And he goes, because nobody ever talked to me. Ever. Mm-hmm. Like nobody ever gave me the time of day. So he goes, when you came up and started talking to me, I was mad because I didn't want anyone to stop me. He goes, but at the same time, it's nice to have somebody act like a friend. You know, he says, it was nice. And I realized right there how powerful we could actually be at that moment and how effective we could be because unlike like a robot unlike a robot who could tell you anything in history or give you they don't have empathy only we can have empathy and it's empathy yeah. that gave me my edge to be able to help people i could feel their pain only bad thing is that it would stay with me for a little bit longer than it should 
like after I'd witnessed the death, it would it would haunt me a little bit longer than maybe it should have. And it is because I would get so engaged in in the saving of this person. I would get so engaged in the conversation that it would almost damage me in the long run. And I knew it was damaging me inside, and that's why I have PTSD. You're the last, last person hope. with any reason that they're going to potentially change their mind for it, and you don't even know them. I don't even so know. So this guy, this guy is been standing there at least for an hour or two at this i don't know you know because you, like you said you don't know really how time is going at this point but you've been down there for a while he's been standing there looking at his death so he you said he started asking you questions and you were like okay we're getting somewhere i just what went was with he asking you he was asking me like um just kind of like personal questions like have you seen anyone take their life here and i was very honest with him i said i've seen Way too many people take their life here. And then he asked me, like, why do most people kill themselves? And and I answered, because they don't have God in their life. Those deep questions. And he goes, what? I said, I have noticed that every person that's standing where you're standing right now doesn't have God in their life. And maybe they did at one time, but they don't anymore. And so they don't fear what happens after this. And then he goes, I don't understand. And I said, well, in my religion, I said, I'm Catholic. If you go through with this, you have no salvation. And he goes, well, he goes, I don't believe in God anyway. And I said, well, I think you do. Because if you didn't, you would have already jumped. But there's something, something that's making you, making you hang on. And he goes, nah, brother. Now you don't understand. There's nothing that's going to hold me back here. The only reason why I'm here is because <clears throat> I'm enjoying somebody giving me conversation for the first time in my life. And I said, well, you're not going to kill yourself. I, I, I'm not going to let you. He just kind of laughed and said, you know, he goes, I know you mean that. I know you really mean that. Now, this is so funny because you think, what is it that can make two total strangers engaged in a conversation? And I could box out anybody. I don't listen to anyone once I'm engaged in that conversation. None of the clamor around you. You just zone it out. Yeah. People can be talking to me. I don't don't listen to a word. Goes in one ear and bounces back at them Mm -hmm. as I'm really concentrating on what's going on right here. This is what's gone through my head. He doesn't believe in God. He's telling me there is nothing that's going to change his mind. That's just Why is he still standing there? Yeah. Why? And I asked him, why are you still standing there then? And he said, I don't know. I haven't had a nice conversation in so long that at least my last conversation will be a good one. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of pressure. And so I said... I go, why? Why? Why does it have to be so final? What the hell gave you the idea that you have to kill yourself in order to fix whatever it is that's wrong with you? And he says, because there's no cure. I'm like, well, what do you, what's wrong? He goes, I'm dying. Are you dying? He goes, yeah. I'm dying of cancer. Hmm. 
And I went, oh. So, of course, when I hear that, the first thing that happens is that my emotions kind of sink. Mm-hmm. My shoulders kind of sink. I start to... I started feeling like I was dipping into his sorrow or his hopelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remembered that something made me turn around. Mm-hmm. Something has kept that man from jumping. And so I took a deep breath and I have no idea why I said this, but I said, I'm not going to pretend what you're, to even understand what you're going through. Uh, there's no way that I would ever be where you are right now. Because I don't think anything could be bad enough for me to do that. I said, but you, you're dying. I could guarantee you that you've made nothing but bad choices and bad mistakes your whole life. He <laughs> goes, yeah. I said, I guarantee you probably stole from your parents, lied to them consistently. He goes, yeah, until they kicked me out. Mm-hmm. So you've made nothing but bad choices your whole life, and that's what got you to this point where now you're sick and you're dying because of needles? And he goes, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I said, so I said, what if you come back, come back over? And you spend the next six months that you have to live volunteering and helping young kids that are going through what you went through when you were an adolescent. What if you could change one life, one kid, then this waste of a life that you think could turn into a gift that you give someone else. I go, you can leave this world with your head held up. He goes, I can do that. I go, damn right, you can. And he turned around and gave me his hand. That's crazy. Yeah. So he that actually, was God. It's such yeah, a crazy so thing to even think of someone who doesn't. We just hugged. Oh, you awesome. did? Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was heavy. <clears throat> it was pretty much, I mean, as far as like a talking save, that was one of my better ones. Mm-hmm. That was one of the better ones. So so he he comes back over. He hugs you. Did he have emotion at that point? Was there anything that came out that was not what you saw when he was on the road? Oh, rail? my God. You talk about from when I first showed up. And I'm laying there talking to him. And I think he's not listening to me. But the whole time, there's something there. there was, he said there was nothing special that I said but he really believed me I also believe that when I prayed to God God had already answered my prayer he was listening he just I just didn't know I know that part where you said that 
he turned around and said, I thought you left. Like, that right. blew my mind. Because yeah, I'm like, yeah. wait. So he didn't even look at you. He didn't know what you looked like. He just knew what you sounded like. And you didn't even say anything. It was someone else that said, oh, Marco. And it's like, right. the simplest thing. It's like, it's like, you don't even know. It might have been that moment where God was talking to you when you had left. Right. That that kid had lost all his hope. That could have been the moment where he was like, well... That one person yeah. that I wanted to he listen to. He didn't even to. believe in me. And then yeah. and then he would have left. But it was and it wasn't gonna happen because, because I prayed and he answered my prayer. And in his answer, it was like he was saying, Seriously? You just asked me for a favor and you're riding away. Mm. You're never gonna know if I answered it. How are you going to know that? How is this going through my head? And it's going through my head as clear as you and me are talking right now. That's, well, see, that's and another, it, that's a gift. Clear enough to make me turn around and go back. Yeah. And I don't know, have you ever talked to somebody that's just not listening? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can tell, right? There's like nonverbal signs that they're not listening. Now, picture that person standing ready to kill himself. I, that, and they're not listening. The weight of that pressure, even just hearing you, I'm like, I don't ever want to deal with that. I don't ever want to be responsible for someone in their deepest moment of sorrow in their life. And it's not just we're sitting in a room and I'm talking and I'm trying to make you feel better. It's you are literally all you have to do is let go and you're dead. And I'm the only person that has the ability to... Not use force, but say something that yeah. changes your mind. That's that's too much for me. That's too much for most people, Dad. But you feel responsible. Ugh, I mean, even I though I couldn't even hold on, even to though that. they tell you you're not responsible, and you're not, but you feel responsible. Yeah, you do. You know, my very mm. first day on the bridge, I lost somebody. The very first day, I was training, and that's that was the beginning of a long career of massive ups and horrible downs. The majority of the people that you actually saved, you don't get to like reach out to them a year no. later. You don't get to reach out to them a month later and say, Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? No, you, you go through this trauma, this scene of emergency and lights and, and this horrible feeling and excitement between two people, one trying to save the other, one trying to, to kill himself, one trying to end it all. And it's this battle between like good and evil. And, and then it either ends well or it doesn't. But either way, I never know if I impacted that person or if I didn't. Or did they try it again somewhere else? Or did they remember what I said to them? Did it mean something? I don't know. You just have to, you just go through this like literal life-changing experience with someone. And then it's just like, all right, hop on the bike and keep going because you still have eight hours in your shift. That's right. That's insane. Daniela, I've seen people jump where they think they're over water. And they're landing on top of roofs and and you, you're seeing their body just cut into pieces. Oh 
and 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 you're scraping them up and then you leave you know and you you still have to try to be normal you still have lunch how the hell are you gonna eat after that you still have lunch you still have to go home and you got to do homework with the kids and life goes on but you're driving away and you start to feel numb and you feel why didn't that affect me why was able why was i able to just see what i just saw and i'm okay mm-hmm. and you start to realize there's something wrong i couldn't sit through a commercial without crying Mm-hmm. And I, I started talking to other officers who were going through the same thing. And it was awesome because none of us had ever realized that we we had so much internal damage mm-hmm. from what we had witnessed through the years and years, you know, being on that bridge, dealing with life and death situations with really no psychological support. If a regular civilian was in the position of saving someone's life, and it, and they actually did... Like, that would be, like, oh. a lifetime story, oh, right? Yeah. And that's one. And and you, and in, in the introduction, if you, if you haven't listened to the introduction, our audience should absolutely listen to that first because it gives a good insight on what your job really entailed. But, but in the introduction, you said, while you saved 120 people, there were hundreds more. That you couldn't save. I couldn't save. That, yeah. that you had the that you had the same opportunity to that you did with this kid, but they didn't re- they didn't receive your your words the same way, or they didn't hear it, or they didn't they weren't they weren't in a position where where their mental state could handle anything anymore. Yeah. So no matter what you would have done, they had already made up their mind. They were committed. Right. And they're committed to, to the death. That's a walking dead. You see them walking on the bridge and they're lifeless and they have that 10,000 mile stare and you know there's something wrong. And so many times I've seen them getting on the bridge and I'm just about ready to get off the bridge and I stop right in front of them and go, wow. I said, I always tell them something that'll come to my head like this of all the places in this world that you could come to think about bad stuff. This is the worst choice you ever made. And they look at me like, how do you know? Well, because you're crying, dude. Right. You're getting on the bridge bawling. You're not crying because you're so happy to be on the bridge. You're crying because you made up your mind and you're about to go kill yourself. But I'm not going to let you. Right. Because I'm here to stop you. That's my job. Basically, it's going to be how much help do I get from God? And how am I going to be able to express that? To the person that's in need. How am I going to get close to them? How am I going to be able to tug on their heart? Mm-hmm. Because it's not always about family. The family could be the problem. Mm-hmm. When you got a girl out there and she's been abused her whole life, um, you bring up her dad or family and she's going to go. Because that's who put her there in the first place. So you don't know. So you can't just talk about family. You know, It has to be about them. Right. It has to be about them because they're the ones that went over the rail. But you, after 20 years, you probably got better and better at this with every person you encountered. Because every story is different. And this kid, right? They're all different. How how many years had you been working at the bridge when you encountered uh, this kid? Oh, man. It was it was right in the beginning. Oh, okay. I had only been there like five years. Oh, maybe. my gosh. Yeah. And even five years of experience with this is still like a lifetime more than any other regular civilian is ever going to experience. Oh, yeah. So... Give people a little bit of insight. When you guys save someone and they come over, 
this kid seemed at that point cooperative. He was hugging you. He was probably emotional. I'm, I'm sure there were tears. Um, what happens to him after that? So what happens is that they're placed on a 72-hour observation. Um, if we catch them or if they come back and they're at the North Tower or anywhere north of the North Tower, they're going to go to the Marin County General Hospital. If they're caught anywhere south of there, they have to go to San Francisco General, which is a lot harder on the people because they're very busy. Mm. There's a lot of a lot of injuries, a lot of crime. It's just crazy. There's a lot of movement. And for somebody who's unstable mentally, it's probably not the best environment to be in. Mm-hmm. So they don't want to go there. They hate it. Yeah. Marin County um has an open door policy. They don't even have to stay the whole oh, wow. time. So even if they're required the 72 hours, they can walk out they after can an walk hour. Out. They don't hold them. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. But though. because the counselors are so good, a lot of them stay. Yeah. Because they want to get help. Which is awesome. They've been through uh, the, uh, this horrible traumatic situation. Not just that, they're feeling like, they're feeling like, um, like a failure. Yeah. Because think about somebody who's failed at everything their whole life because they put themselves in a horrible spot or i don't know maybe society themselves just but they've they've failed and failed and failed and now they come out to the bridge to kill themselves they had a plan and they failed oh gosh yeah so think about that that's what they're going through they see that as failure but yes it's and like so, second chance and but... yeah and and they're gonna start they're gonna start look what happens too is that you get them help they realize the reason why you're on the bridge is because you stop taking your meds, and the and the, so you take they start getting on their meds, and the meds will make them feel good, and they'll go through this nice period of peacefulness for maybe two or three months, and then they feel oh I feel good I don't need those meds anymore, mm-hmm. and they get off of them, and that's when it gets really bad, mm-hmm. and that's when they become suicidal and it's just bad or sometimes. The medicine isn't a good mix for them, and they end up becoming suicidal because it's not a good mix. Gosh, it's like so. It's so really hard, and it's so hard because you know that the people, their loved ones, are so desperate to help them. Yeah, and and it's one of those things where it's so difficult to deal with somebody who isn't so much internal pain that they feel like their body is like a jail cell and they want out of it. Obviously that kid was terminal. So no matter what was going to happen, he was going to die one way or the other. Well, yeah, but he became terminal because of drugs, which is just, he got AIDS because of using needles that were someone else was using. And he ended up getting sick. And then from the AIDS, he got other disease. He got cancer. And, oh, my gosh. You know, so that's, that's the way he explained it to me. But he basically said he had made bad choices his whole yeah. life. And, and now those were the results, you know. I hope that that kid, you know, God rest his soul if he's, if he's gone now. But I hope that when he came back over... 
he didn't feel like he failed at his no end way. of life. I hope that he felt like for once in many years, he finally made the right decision. Yeah. You know? Daniela, um, I think that with so many people that I pull back over, now you gotta imagine, if after you, you pull somebody back over the rail, you know, um, there's a bond that is a trust bond. Um, we are supposed to, um, policy says we're supposed to handcuff them to for their own safety and for our safety so they don't turn around and try to kill you or whatever. Um, I had a certain trust level with certain people. And when my partners would go to put handcuffs on them, I would say, no. And they go, we have to. And I go, no, no handcuffs. Did you handcuff him? Nope. And I go, you don't need handcuffs, right? And I go, no. I trusted him. I believed him. Mm-hmm. And it never backfired on me. Not in 20 years. Not once. Not once. And that, that's the gift that I feel God gave me. Because I could feel people. Mm-hmm. I knew when they were going to be honest with me. I had other friends who would trust people. And they would jump on them. Mm. That's and scary. I always thought, I'm not going to let it happen. But it didn't happen. Because I actually could feel them. And I knew that they were telling me the truth. Isn't that weird? It, it is and so weird. Isn't just weird how you can actually feel it? But that's, see, that's the gift. I don't and think everybody know, has that. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I, it's, that is the gift that was given to me. I, I don't think anybody goes into law enforcement hoping to be a crisis negotiator for suicidal people. It's like the worst thing in the world. Nobody wants to do uh, that. Yeah, job. I do not. Think you that. fall into it mm-hmm. because God gave you the gift of gab. Mm-hmm. I could talk. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I get. I talk. I talk yeah. a lot of shit. I can talk. My hands, hands are podcast. all over the place. <laughs> I, I like talking, you know, but that gift of talking, the gift of gab mm-hmm. is what made me pretty good at my job. Well, I guess it saved 120 lives. And we just heard the first of many stories of those 120 people that you personally influenced. I want to add one thing. Absolutely. Um, With all the bad publicity going towards police officers and law enforcement officers, um, I think it's this is the one part of law enforcement that really makes a difference. Hopefully the people who are more critical, right, come to understand that aspect of the job. Because there's definitely, like, sure, there's corruption and there's bad stuff. Oh, man, stuff. yeah. And there's a lot of bad cops. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I know them. I've seen them. Yeah. It's stuff I would never do. Right. Not the people I work with. But I've seen bad cops. Absolutely. They exist just like bad everybody else. Yeah. Right? But you, you got to think, like, like I just don't see how how you can generalize all police officers um, because maybe one cop does something horrible, but the rest of us were on duty at the same time, and maybe some of us did something great. The way I see it is that in my career, God gave me the gift of saving 120 people. So that's 120 dads and 120 moms and 120 granddads and grandmas that I influence in a positive way. That 
is good police work. And everything that you did, too, when, when you were on the job, I'm sure that you were thinking, I need to do this and be effective and save this person's life, but I also need to get home. I need to get home. And 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 we you definitely do. want to make sure that people remember that it's totally fine and acceptable to have an opinion that could be critical of officers. Yeah. Totally fine. But you have to remember this aspect as well that I would say any other job that's not first responder work doesn't have that weighing on their shoulders. No, I and, don't think so. No. And, and so we want to remember that. And also, you know, just to close out this particular story, you brought this kid home. Well, dad, this was super special. Great first first story for this podcast. Um, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy um, bringing these stories back to life because um, if I don't, they're just going to go away with me when I die. And nobody will ever know what struggle happens on that bridge every day. Because my brothers and sisters and the new brothers and sisters from the Golden Gate Bridge and the CHP, they're still doing this. They might be doing it right now. It's but true. they're still out there every day trying to save lives. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully these retellings of your stories are a therapeutic experience for you, too. They are. It's good for me to let it out. Yeah, yeah I think good. it's important. Yeah. So, um, But thank you so much for doing this oh, first episode. Thank you. Absolutely. It's a lot of fun. It is fun. And uh, we hope everybody who listened enjoyed. And stay tuned for episode two coming next week. Goodbye and God bless. To any of our listeners struggling with thoughts of suicide, we want you to know there is hope. Call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. If you're a veteran struggling with PTSD, please know that you are not alone. Dial 988 to reach the Veterans Crisis Line. Never forget the words Jesus left us in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. God knows your name and he understands your struggle. Never lose hope. And if you get the chance to be someone's hope, take it.